It was pulled off into the breakdown lane, almost leaning up against the guardrail. From a distance, he'd mistaken the rogue car for his own. Ben's eyes bulged as he stood there staring until his vision blurred, but he blinked the rogue car back into focus. It was no mirage this time. He knew he should have listened to the voice that had told him to keep going, the ancestral voice that had tried to warn him. What the hell am I going to do now? Ben thought. His legs answered the question as they whisked him back over the guardrail. He had a new plan, apparently a plan improvised by the reptilian components of his brain. The plan was to run and hide. Ben breached the tree line and soon he was wading through pine needles, feeling thick brambles stabbing through his jeans. But he didn't stop. In a hypothermic, dehydrated mania, Ben Weber was almost swallowed up by the forest, perhaps to freeze to death before being scavenged on by local wildlife. And his Halloween story might have ended there in the woods had he not clobbered himself on the lowest branch of a pine tree. Ben heard the knock of his skull contacting the cold, hard wood as fireworks exploded across his vision. He heard himself grunt as his brain lost communication with his legs and the forest floor tilted towards him. Somehow the world went even darker. Ben came to on his back, staring up at the stars that glimmered faintly through the slits in the forest canopy. There was a fierce throbbing in his head and a warm wound dripping at his hairline. He tasted dirt and pine needles. The cold penetrated his bones. He couldn't feel his fingers. All he could do was plunge his numb hands back into his pants, past his boxer briefs. His hands were two blocks of ice against his groin. Ben let out a soft cry. His cold hands on his groin hit him like smelling salt and through the pain in his head, he managed to focus. He held his hands there, and after a few minutes, he felt life back in his fingers. With his hands still buried in his pants, Ben rocked back and forth until he gathered enough momentum to roll onto his side. He steadied himself on one knee before getting to his feet again. Moving at a slow, grim pace like a pallbearer shouldering a friend's coffin, Ben waded back through the pine needles and emerged at the tree line. He stood facing the turnpike again, feeling his heart thudding in his chest. And for a second, he thought the head trauma was causing him double vision. The rogue car was still there, but what he hadn't realized was that his own car was parked in front of it, only 10 yards or so up the road. For a while he watched, eyes drifting back and forth from car to car. Then finally, consciously, he planted his feet and clenched his jaw and actively fought the temptation to bolt for his own car to lock himself in and hide as if that would do any good. Damn near hypothermic, semi-concussed, hands holstered in his pants, Ben Weber finally left the cover of the tree line and walked towards the rogue car. Conclusion Ben wasn't sure where he should go first, 
the police station, or back to his girlfriend's apartment. His situation seemed to lack any standard protocols, but intuition told him the latter, and he obliged. Ben knew that when his girlfriend opened the front door and discovered him in his current condition, he'd have her full attention. And that's all he wanted now. So up to the third floor, Ben walked. His shin was killing him, only to be outdone by the pain in his head. Fading adrenaline only amplified that pain, and yet he still fought back laughter. Everything was funny to him now, including pain, especially the pain. Ben had spent most of the drive back into the city, laughing so hard he had to wipe away tears that blurred the road in front of him. Between fits of laughter, he drummed on the steering wheel and yelled out the window. He'd found a rock radio station and sung along to a nice lineup of victory songs. Walking up the stairs now to his girlfriend's apartment, he tried to stifle the laughter. Considering how dirty and beat up he looked, if he didn't get the laughter under control, she'd think he'd gone insane. He composed himself and knocked lightly on her door. A few minutes passed and he heard footsteps. The porch light turned on. Some stories are best told in the shower together, Ben thought. When the door opened, all the humor ran out of him because a young man, roughly his own age, perhaps a couple inches taller than him, stood before him. Who is it, babe? came his girlfriend's voice from the bedroom the same bedroom where Ben had gotten up that very morning, where he'd rolled out of bed early to make breakfast. He'd prepared biscuits and gravy for her. It was her favorite remedy for a hangover. Who are you, dude? The young man asked. Ben didn't respond. He'd come too far to explain himself to this stranger. In his pocket, his hand clenched his cell phone until his knuckles whitened and even though the battery was still dead, the hard mass of glass and plastic no longer felt so useless. Later, at the police station, Ben fell asleep waiting for a detective who finally showed up with a manila folder in one hand and a mug of coffee in the other. Ben answered his questions through a thick cloud of grogginess. He could have used a mug of coffee himself, but no such offer came. Rude. Ben thought. His bandaged skull still ached where the pine branch had clubbed him. He thought one of his fingers was broken. Ben hadn't told them about that injury. In his pocket, his phone was completely shattered, and Ben would later discover it was also flecked with blood. As he answered the detective's questions, Ben noticed that outside the door to the interview room, a uniformed officer was posted. They think I'm a threat. Ben realized. He had to stifle laughter. The detective cleared his throat. So your tire blows, and you're walking to find help, and you're almost hit by a car? I jumped out of the way, Ben said. The detective looked at Ben incredulously. Smart move. I think so too, Ben said, holding his gaze. The detective's eyes went back to the manila folder containing the police report Ben had submitted earlier. Okay, well I think I understand everything up until... What happened when you, uh... The detective paused, scanning the report. When you got back to your car, what happened then? 
There was skepticism in the detective's voice. I saw the car that almost ran me over, Ben said. It was parked behind mine. And the car that almost ran you over, that's the car that you drove here? Yeah, Ben said, fighting a grin, hardly able to believe it himself. The detective sighed and rubbed his stubbled chin. His face settled into a frown, and he closed the folder, then dropped it onto the table. Maybe you should start from the beginning. Just one more time, he said. Ben obliged him, recounting what had happened back on the turnpike, from the tire blowout to finding the destroyed call box, and how he'd nearly been run down, how he'd turned back cowardly to seek shelter, only to find the road car parked behind his own, and how he'd fled cowardly into the woods and knocked himself out on a branch. And then, what had happened when he'd finally found some courage back on the turnpike. Holding his breath, Ben had marched towards the rogue car. All in one motion, he hopped the guardrail, grabbed its passenger door handle, and yanked. When the dome light kicked on, Ben braced himself for a gruesome scene. He expected to come upon the Halloween demon, or perhaps a corpse at the wheel, or even one feeding on the other. But except for some clutter in the back seat, the rogue car was empty. It's been recently vacated, Ben thought. Then he saw keys dangling from the ignition. He stepped back from the door. This is a setup, he thought. This whole thing is a setup. Ben turned to the woods and scanned the tree line. All was quiet and nothing moved. He turned up the road and saw his own car. He took a half step towards it, then hesitated. All a setup, he thought. He turned back to the road car and once more settled his attention on the keys hanging from the ignition. He got in the road car and moved over to the driver's seat. Turning the key, the ignition started up. Step one, Ben thought. He worked his hands over the steering column, finding the switch that activated the headlights. Copper beams spilled across the breakdown lane, illuminating the back windshield of his own car just up the road. Ben took a deep breath and shifted into drive. He was about to launch a hard U-turn when he sensed movement somewhere in front of him. Ben froze and then snapped his attention forward. Holding his breath, he slowly moved his hand back to the steering column and activated the high beams. Fully revealed now was the hooded figure, staring back at him from the back seat of his own car. The Reaper had been waiting there for him.